For those joining us today in God's house and those online joining us, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bring you a word from the Lord from Mark chapter 9. But you know, I've got, as I begin to work on this sermon, uh, you might want to follow me a little bit today. <laughs> today. Um, i got to ask you a question. And I want you to listen to this question because it's going, to, going to, it's going to be throughout the whole sermon. The question that I want to ask you, I want you to think about it. If you don't write it down now, that's fine because we'll repeat it throughout. Here's the question. Do you consider yourself a person of genuine faith? Would you say that, uh, yes, I consider myself a person that has faith? Not faithful, but a person of genuine faith. So hold on to that. We'll answer it as I have had to answer it about myself as well throughout this text today. Do you consider yourself a person of genuine faith? Now you might say, Pastor, that's not a very thorough question. In fact, that is a nonsensical question. Why? Because I'm here this morning, aren't I? I'm here and I'm attending, so I've got to be spiritual. But I have got to share with you that church attendance is not always a mark of faith. Yes, God's word said that the saints of God should assemble. And in fact, we are not to neglect assembling together. But I submit to you that it could also be a lack of faith, depending on our motives for attending. Now, I can't answer that for you. Only you can do that. And I can, answer, I can only answer it for myself. I've got to also tell you that we are overjoyed. I'm overjoyed today to see God's people in his house. I'm overjoyed for the ones joining us online and in the fellowship hall. I am simply, I'm overjoyed. It, it is an absolute joy to come to worship together and hear people singing, great is thy faithfulness, or to be able to sing living hope, and to be able to sing those, those songs, and, and, and to be able to reflect on the word, it does my heart good. We are overjoyed to come to worship today, but I, I've got to say to, to you that that is not necessarily a sign of health for you. Now let me explain before you before you begin casting stones at the pastor before you this morning. I know that there are some who attend church, and not just here, but across the world, that see their church ten attendance as repentance or penance for sins. Or would say that that is my civic duty to go to church, God and country, Right? As if to say, God, look at me, I'm coming to your house today, you've got to forgive me. But it is only the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives. Saying, God, forgive me, I'm here in your house today, please look favorably upon me. I'm going to church. My heart's desire as I stand before the Lord and, and I stand before you today as God is my witness. 
My desire is to see God's people grow in the grace and knowledge of the risen Son. And this means that the Lord's desire for all of us, for you and for me, is to avoid profane teaching and doctrine. To grow in Him. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter. Peter wrote these words in regards to growing in faith. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. Now, I've got to say, the devil wants nothing more but for you to lose credibility. And to tarnish your testimony for Christ. He says, but to grow. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Sometimes we gloss over the greetings and the, and the ending of letters. But I think even though this is an ending to the letter from the hand of James, it is a powerful reminder Again, do you consider yourself a person of genuine faith? Because today's sermon has to do with faithless and faithful. Take it from Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 29. I will ask you, if you will, will you stand once again for the reading of the word of the Lord? Let's stand together in honoring of the reading of the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 14. With our places found in Mark, the word of the Lord says to us, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed and he ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked him, what are you arguing about with them? Verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them saying, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. You could almost hear the compassion in the tone. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell to the ground, he rolled about, foaming at the mouth, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, well, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire, into the water, and it wanted to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I think he knew the heart of the Lord here. Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd had come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter into him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of the people said, is he, he is dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? 
And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for the word before us. Teach us. Teach us how to be faithful and have faith. Teach us to deal with unbelief and doubt in our lives as we look to the sovereign king. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So as you recall last week, the transfiguration, the inner three disciples, Peter, James, John, they witnessed a transfigured Jesus. They stood in the presence of a glorified Jesus who stood himself in the middle of the Old Testament prophets Moses and Elijah. And there was a lot that we learned last week from this episode. In fact, we find that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the words of the prophets. He is the fulfillment of the law given to Moses and he is the fulfillment of the words spoken by the prophets. He is the fulfillment of the covenant spoken by the prophets saying that there is coming a Messiah and he will crush the head of the serpent. So Jesus stands in the middle as a fulfillment of this. A fulfillment of all families of the earth will be blessed because of Jesus Messiah. Then the father said to this, of the son, he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We listen to him. And so we come down from the hill together. I believe that's what Mark would like us to do. We are inserted in the, in the gospel narrative. We come down from the hill with Jesus and Peter and James and John, we come down off that hill with an understanding that Jesus has and he will forevermore transfigure all things. Revelation 21 verse 5 says that in him all things will be complete. I have made all things new, he says. And if we could put what happened on that hill in some type of Colloquial saying, maybe, uh, a saying, a language that we use very, very often, or familiar language. We would say something like this of the transfigured Christ. We would say something like this. What happened on that hill concerning Jesus lets us know that the best is yet to come. From salvation to the resurrection. To our glorification, the best is yet to come. Just so you know, the best is yet to come still. So today I want to parallel two positions, that of the faithless and that of the faithful. And so I hold you to that question. Are you a person of genuine faith? So here's the scene. Peter, James, and John coming down off the hill... With Jesus, the rest of the disciples had stayed back and they had gotten themselves in a little bit of a scenario or situation, a predicament, conundrum, whatever you want to call it, with the scribes. And there are some similarities with Moses. Just, just kind of a quick, a quick footnote. 
Moses is coming down off the hill. Moses finds a people who are in chaos, who had turned their back on the one true God, and, and Moses found unbelief. Jesus comes down off this, off Mount, off this Mount of Transfiguration, and he finds, and he finds disbelief, he finds chaos, he, he finds faithlessness as Moses did as well. So there are some similarities there. But what Jesus finds when he comes down, Jesus finds disunity in the faithless. He finds disunity and he finds chaos. Now, now I know that, that many times we struggle with disbelief in this walk with Christ. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I'm not going to survey. Because every one of us would raise our hand to say that there are times in our life when we have to deal with disbelief and doubt. Every one of us. And if there was one who here today said, I've never had to struggle with disbelief, may the rapture have, uh, find you today and you be in the presence of Christ. Sometimes we find our faith is tested and waning. Jesus comes down the hill in verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, there had been a great crowd that came around them. And, and, and they were arguing together. What could all the ruckus be about? Uh, what, what, could, what could they be arguing over? Why the uproar? The scribes, they, the scribes certainly knew that these were Jesus' disciples. They knew this. But without the presence of Jesus... They came under attack. Do you get that? I must say that that thought in and of itself can be a sermon preached by itself. Without the presence of Jesus, we are susceptible to successful attack. And here's what I mean. Meaning the enemy will quickly corner us if Christ be not with us. Why do you think there are so many churches in the world today that find themselves dis disconnected with one another, in disagreements with one another, disunity? They don't even know what doctrine they teach. Why do you think that there is so much arguing and discord in, in churches across the world? Now, there is unity, I've got to say. But there's also disunity. Why do you think that is? Could it be that Christ is not walking in their midst? Could it be that the Lord is not blessing that church because they are in disunity? Could it be that they left Jesus on the outside and they're just going to figure things out on their own? Without the presence of Christ, there will be attack. Charles Spurgeon said the presence of Christ is victory to the church. The absence of the Lord Jesus entails disgraceful defeat. I remember hearing a commentator one time talk about the church was so cold that the deacons had to wear ice skates to pass the collection plate. <laughs> I want you to know this morning, even as that is a bit hilarious, to, to envision our deacons on ice skates. I want you to know this, and this is a warning. The enemy is looking for every opportunity to cast doubt on the Son of God. 
He's looking for every opportunity to discredit your allegiance to him and your servitude to him. It's a good example of this. I've got to say, over the past few years, I have, I've known some men who I have sat under their teaching. I got their books in my office. I've known some men, pastors, leaders, teachers, who I have sat under and absorbed teaching, who have fallen into sexual immorality. Don't think the enemy won't attack you. And that is so true. Without Christ in our presence, we will fail. Look at what verse 15 says. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and they greeted him. And here's really where the rubber meets the road. Here's, the, here's what we might consider the, uh, the unsaved, unregenerate church member. Because there are some of those. To be sure, this is where the rubber meets the road for the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. This is where the rubber meets the road for them. This is, what the, this is the real rub for them. Because here's this man, Jesus of Nazareth, taking all of their authority, as if they really had any authority, but they thought they were something. They thought that they had a Ph.D. in the law, and so they thought themselves to be something. They would be the type who would stand before the Lord and say, Lord, don't you know that I have a master's degree in theology? Don't you know that I have a Ph.D.? The Lord says, I don't, I don't care about your, your, your initials behind your name. I just care about whether, your na- whether, whether my name is written on your heart. That's all I care about. And whether or not you are faithful in this life. So here are the scribes who had nothing to do with, with, uh, with maintaining right teaching. Didn't care about correct doctrine. For all to, to them is implied in the title scribe that they were keepers of the law. This implied that the term scribe, Mark made this into this account to let the reader know these guys with a real deal, or so it seemed. And Jesus undermined their authority. In fact, the Bible tells us of Jesus that he taught with so much authority that it superseded the scribes. This is the real rub. This is the real confliction here with the scribes. And they were looking for every opportunity to cast doubt on Jesus. And so in this case, he uses the disciples to do it. Crowd was amazed by Jesus. Not so much the scribes. Verse 16 said, and, and he asked them, What are you arguing about? This is a call of confession to the disciples, and he asked them, What, what are you arguing about? And it certainly could be a call to both. He could be addressing the scribes, what are you arguing about? He could be saying to the disciples, What are you arguing about? He could be saying to both groups, What are you arguing about? The personal tone makes me believe that he is speaking to his disciples. It is as, 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 as if the scribes used this occasion to cast doubt upon the validity of Jesus by using his disciples. And the world still does that, by the way. They so say, I like, I like Jesus and his teaching. It's his disciples that I have a problem with. You know how many times I've heard that comment? 
Verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit, makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, he, he foams at the mouth, his teeth grind, and he becomes rigid, stiff as, just like rigor mortis, stiff. His muscles become just stiff, rigid. And we could say this might be an epileptic uh, seizure, or it might be demon possession, as the Bible says. But the bottom line is this, there is something of the spiritual nature happening here. Spiritual warfare. By the way, that still happens today. The wording in the Greek language gives us the impression that this unclean spirit has moved upon this boy from birth and it has thrashed him so much over the years that his body is to the point of exhaustion. It is to the place of dehydration. This boy is on the very precipice of death. It has brought him to a place where he is being torn apart, thrashed to the place of exhaustion and death. And so the warfare here is twofold. One deals with the unclean spirit. The other, unbelief and doubt. So I would imagine, I couldn't imagine what this battlefield looked like for this level of spiritual warfare. By the way, whether we like it or not, we are at constant struggle with unbelief. That is why discipleship, disciple-making is so important. That is why it is important to get in the word of the Lord daily and to re renew the mind daily because it is a constant struggle. Just think for a moment. If you were to watch the news, I could stop right there, right? All day long and had no biblical intake, where do you think your mind would be at? In this nihilistic idea that nothing matters and is absurd. But we know better than that, don't we? This man has become in agony because of his son's condition. Mark says it is an unclean spirit. Other modern commentators might say that it carries the appearance of ep epilepsy, and that might be the case. Either way, lo the Lord will heal this young man. It carries all the telltale signs of seizure or epilepsy, but it also carries the sign of possession in this case. E either way, something miraculous is about to occur, but more so, this is a teachable moment for the disciples. Remember, everything that Jesus did, every word he spoke, Every footstep that he walked, everywhere he went, was to teach and lead. And so this is a case where Jesus teaches his disciples. This is more, this is more than a this is more than about healing us of a son. It's about mending, it's about building up faith. Jesus had healed a, a deaf and a mute man, if you remember. This ain't the first time that Jesus had had healed a man who had been deaf or or mute and what is the significance of this episode he says so I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able to and he answered them he said oh faithless generation how long am I to be with you how long am I to bear with you bring him to me the scribes were, were using the unbelief of the disciples as ammunition against Jesus but he quickly reverts to the heart of the matter. I love that about the Lord, the Lord Jesus, is that he quickly gets to the heart of the matter. 
It seems as if Jesus is calling out the disciples for their lack of faith. It would be one of the very few occasions that we find in Scripture where Jesus is actually acknowledging something that the scribes had said. He is calling out their unbelief. It doesn't happen very often. This is, a one, this is an occasion where Jesus affirms what the scribes have said, but they're no better than the disciples. They're full of unbelief too. And here is the vision for the disciples. They are to be the ones who will further the kingdom once Jesus has left the earth. They are supposed to be the ones who will, who will go to the ends of the earth. Who These apostles will make disciples and disciples making disciples and so forth and so on. Uh, they, they're supposed to be the ones that, that will have an impact on the kingdom. But how can they have this impact on the kingdom if they have not learned something about their faith while they're walking with Jesus? And not much of this will change until after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost. I mean, think about it. Think about it. They physically walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, no doubt hugged at Jesus, listened to him teach. They sat under him while he taught. Jesus discipled them. One would think that they would have a sliver of faith in this moment, being that they spent so much time with Jesus, Messiah. As one imagined, there's this unity, there's chaos, all because of the lack of faith in the Master. They lacked faith in the name of Jesus to heal. So they bring the boy, and, and Jesus is about to heal the boy. We find in verse 20, they brought the boy to Jesus, to him, to him, and here's something interesting. The spirit within him immediately convulsed. It saw Jesus and recognized Jesus and reacted violently. Threw the boy to the ground. He began foaming at the mouth. And so Mark in this case, so that we know what is transpiring from his hand, he wants you to know at this point, that this was an unclean spirit who recognized Jesus and sent the boy into convulsions. So he's, roaming, he's foaming at the mouth, he's rolling on the ground. The boy is to a place where he's being torn apart. And as the disciples stood by helpless and full of doubt. Now I don't, I don't know where you are this morning and what you're going through. But I've got to tell you, as you probably know, hopefully, apart from Christ, you'll never have the faith to sustain you in this world. For some, it might be the chaos that you see in the world around us, the ever-changing cultural climate of our world. It seems to change daily. What was acceptable and right and pure yesterday, today, Culture deems as, as rebukable, if you will. There might be some here today who's struggling with the loss of a loved one. Someone in here who's struggling with a loved one with disease and working through that. There might be some even under the side of my voice who might be dealing with lust, 
pornography or something of that sort. And where we ought to cast that to the master's feet, I encourage you to place all of your confidence in Christ and he will sustain you. First, it will take repentance. He will sustain you. We might not have all the answers in life. We certainly don't. But what we do have is Jesus. What we do have is the Lord. What we do have is the Holy Spirit. What we do have is God's sovereignty. What we do have is God's providence and protection for his people. That I've got the guarantee that no man will ever pluck me from the hand of the master. Charles Spurgeon again, he said, O armies of the living God, count not on your numbers. Rely not on your strength. Reckon not upon the ability of your ministers. Vaunt not in human might. Nor on the other hand, be discouraged because ye are feeble. If he be with you, listen closely. If he be with you, more are they that are for you than all they that are against you. If Christ be in your midst, there are horses of fire and chariots of fire round about you. In other words, let Jesus be the champion and object of your faith. But not only does Jesus come off this hill and find disunity and chaos and faithlessness, it is Jesus himself that brings faith to the faithless. And praise the Lord for that. When I struggle with my faith, when I struggle with unbelief, it is Jesus Christ that brings resolution. I think in this moment a good glimmer of a faithful person is not in the scribes, not found in the disciples, but found in the words of this troubled father whose boy was possessed by an unclean spirit who simply says to the Lord, help me with my unbelief. I don't got anywhere else to go, Lord. I know it's you. In fact, verse 21, Jesus asked the father, he said, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, born this way. Let's often cast him into the fire, into the water, and it's sought to destroy him. But if you can do anything, please have compassion on us and help us. I think he knew the heart of the Lord Jesus, don't you? Have compassion. And of course, the Lord will help the boy. And as we know, it's often moved with compassion. The Bible tells us over and again, and the Lord was moved with compassion and he healed because we serve a compassionate Lord. In fact, we could learn something about compassion. The father explains this unclean spirit had thrashed a boy and destroyed, almost brought him to the place of trying to destroy him, threw him down into the fire, trying to, trying to destroy him, take his life. But I want you to listen to the tone, of the compassion, and the voice of the Lord. And I believe that the Greek could carry some tone. It would sound... Something of a compassionate tone, don't you? Mark says this. Jesus said to him, if you can, imagine the voice of the master. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Mark uses the word that he likes to use quite a bit. 
Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, if that would be our prayer this morning. If only we could grab a hint of this father's faith, I believe that we would see spiritual growth and transformation in our lives like never before. That might even be where you're at this morning. I'm, I'm going through a rough patch. Lord, I'm struggling. I'm trying to have faith. I'm trying to press on. I'm, I'm trying, but I don't know how I'm, I can do it. Lord, I'm struggling. Help me have the faith to carry on. You would be surprised at the number of pastors that say that. Leaders who say that. Deacons who say that. Oh, but we must be super spiritual. I got to tell you, I have never met a person yet who did not struggle with unbelief. I might not tell you that. John Calvin wrote in the first sections of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, two precepts at the beginning of that volume. Number one is that everybody is born religious. We have a sense of religion and allegiance to what we would call God. The other worldly being, creator, God. And everybody was born with this sense of religion. But because of the fall, it has been distorted. Our mind and our reasoning has been distorted. Our spirit, of course, has been distorted. But then everybody also has a sense of the divine. He said everybody is born religious in this sense, but it is the fall that distorts these tendencies and directs our affections of faith elsewhere. And that is true today as it was many, many years ago, ever since Adam and Eve, our first parents, sinned in the garden. As Christ followers, I know many times we echo these words. If you're like me, we echo these words, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Lord, we want to see fruit. Uh, Lord, we, I, I don't, can't tell you how many times I've prayed that prayer myself. Lord, we're trying to be faithful. We haven't seen fruit. Lord, help me with my unbelief. Help me, Lord, to have wisdom and, and, and faith in you through these times. Understanding the character of Jesus and then to see his compassion I can, I can see how this statement would move Jesus to compassion. But as a demonstration of his power and, as, and his might, and, and yes, compassion, he rebuked this unclean spirit. When the crowd saw that, when Jesus saw that it was a crowd that came running together, he rebuked this spirit. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out and never to enter into him again. The unclean spirit cried out and convulsed the boy almost to the point of death. If in fact, some would say, he is dead. He laid there like a corpse. He's dead. So Jesus heals the boy, or so it seems. And many thought that the boy was dead. They thought that he had, that this spirit has taken his life. Which if this is the case, then at this moment, Jesus did not fully heal the boy. 
The unclean spirit had done a number on him for sure, and, 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 and not in and of himself could this boy have sustained. But Jesus took him by the hand. Look at this. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Isn't that a picture of salvation? We were dead, lifeless. Christ brought us from death into life. Compassionately, the Lord takes the boy's hand. He arose. He rose. And now some commentators would parallel this, this event with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, purporting that the boy was in fact dead and, and that Jesus brought him back to life. But I do not believe that there is solid scriptural merit to make the case that the boy was dead. He was like he was dead. And I would be very careful on making this parallel. Although there are some parallels, although there are some things that we can draw from the boy and Jesus raising him up, especially in the sense that we were dead and now we are alive in Christ. But why would I be careful of comparing this boy's death, or what appeared to be death, to that of Jesus? When Jesus died... And was put on the cross. He was put on the cross and he died. And when he was put in the tomb, there was no assumption that he was dead. He was dead. There was no trying to figure out if he has really died or not. He was dead. There, there was no denying it. Jesus didn't just simply lay there like a dead corpse. He was. But we know he rose again, don't we? And I would be very careful drawing this parallel to the boy's apparent death and Jesus' literal death. But I will say this. It is Jesus that gives the boy new life. And he gives us a new life too. You know, I, I love music and I cannot help sometimes but incorporating song lyrics and and to the things I'm trying to teach is illustration. There is a line of a song that is very helpful. I don't know if whether you have heard this, this song or not. The title of this song is, When My Savior Reached Down. You know that song? Well, maybe we'll sing it one day if you don't know it. When the Savior reached down. And a line or two that is very striking, and a very striking reminder goes like this. Once my soul was astray from the heavenly way. I was wretched and blind as could be. But my Savior in love gave me peace from above when he reached down his hand for me. When the Savior reached down for me, when he reached way down for me, I was lost and undone without God or his Son when he reached down his hand for me. A beautiful picture. Listen, child of God, this is a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus saving you, saving me, lifting us out of spiritual death and separation. And what a glorious reminder that the Lord 
has compassionately saved you, gave you a measure of faith. Jesus indeed gives faith to the once faithless. Now here's this boy. He is riddled with his unclean spirit in a possessed state. This can parallel to those without Christ or true spiritual death. See, sin and separation has torn us down, thrashed us about. But then Jesus, I could probably stop there, couldn't I? Then Jesus came to the rescue. He died on the cross in our place and he rose again. And there is no reason today why a child of the king cannot have their faith and hope in the one who rescued them. Then Mark closes with these words. And the disciples came to the house and they had asked him in private, why could we not cast it out? Listen to the words of Jesus. He said to them, this kind, of, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The answer to this dilemma, this lapse in our faith, seemed to be answered in one single place in the text. It lies within the last statement that Jesus uses here before he tells of his own death and resurrection. It cannot, uh, it cannot happen. It cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. He says prayer is the answer. How many believe that today? Prayer is the answer. To have faith in Christ takes complete surrender to him. Prayer to him. I remember reading of, a, of, a, of an article last week. This name might sound familiar to you. Uh, Eric Little. I don't know if you, or Liddell. I don't know if that name sounds familiar to you. He was, uh, he was a, a Scottish Olympian gold medalist. You might know him better as a missionary if uh, you've been in Southern Baptist life long. You might know him better as a missionary. But at one point, he was a gold medalist. Who, uh, he was a runner for Britain. And in all of the fame that he acquired, all of the, the medal, the gold medal that he acquired during the World War II era, and all, all, of this, uh, all of this honor and all this prestige could never persuade him from his true calling. His true calling was to go to preach the gospel to China. The Chinese people need to hear that Jesus saved. Even though himself was born in China to missionary families, he went to school in London and he began to hone his athletic abilities and over time he felt the Lord call him to China and by the way, that calling is inescapable. He went on to compete in the Olympics but he returned to China in 1925. This was closely after World War I. He goes to China and he used his skills to minister to the people in China and saw many come to the Lord and discipled many. He was at one point captured uh, by the Japanese during the Japanese occupation of China and during World War II and he passed away from a, a brain tumor. But on his deathbed, he had wrote some final words to share. And the final words that Eric Liddell wrote 
where it's complete surrender. It's complete surrender. And it is. To the Lord Jesus, casting our unbeliefs and all at his feet. And I certainly believe the Lord enabled this man's faith who said, help me to believe. I believe he helped that man's faith and he'll help you today. So let me ask you again in closing. Do you consider yourself a person of genuine faith? Are you struggling with unbelief? Are you struggling with doubt? You might feel as if your faith is in a tailspin right now, but there is hope. You may feel as if this pandemic has wrecked your world or has shaken your faith. There is still hope. You may feel as if there is death or illness or the death or illness of a loved one have shifted your faith from the Lord and there is help. There is hope in the Lord Jesus. Certainly trials and tribulations rock our faith, but it also puts us at a crossroads. And we are at those crossroads today. Which way will you take? Let's pray together, shall we?